Jesus said, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you once again to join us here in this place this morning. We trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. One of my very favorite little parables of Jesus, one that I find myself returning to over and over again, appears only in the Gospel of Mark, as though it was so insignificant that the other Gospel writers thought, you know what, we can get along without that one. But I love it. It's only four verses long, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, besides being very comforted by this little story, the good news that God's crops will grow naturally and the harvest will be plentiful despite my lack of understanding. In addition to the gospel truth, the thing I always liked about this parable was how crazy it must have driven the farmers of the day who would have heard Jesus telling this story. What are you talking about, Jesus? I can hear them groaning. We know exactly how the seed sprouts and grows. It's our back-breaking labor. We water, we tend, we prune. It grows because of us. But Jesus clearly has a different message in mind. And even though the teaching that we have before us this week, Jesus is teaching about the vine and the branches from John 15, even though This teaching is totally disconnected from my little parable here uh, about growing seeds coming as it does during Jesus' teaching at the Last Supper. I think it serves to explain just how it is that God's crops grow. How there is a plentiful harvest. How good fruit is born. But first, a little backstory. The Old Testament is full of references to farming and crops and the Lord as farmer or caretaker. And Jesus, of course, continues this tradition in the New Testament with parables about workers in a vineyard, uh, wheat and tares growing up together and so on. But to understand all this farming imagery in the New Testament, we need to go back to the old. Indeed, even in creation, God plants a garden In Eden, he is tending to growing plants from the very beginning. But I want to start this morning in Isaiah chapter 5 with probably 
the most common agricultural image of God as the keeper of a vineyard. Isaiah 5 starts like this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. Now, Isaiah returns to this image of the vineyard and the vine several times, especially in chapter 27. In that day, he writes, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. And these are just two examples. As I said, the Old Testament is full of these images. God keeping his vineyard. And the image is actually a relatively simple one to unpack. God is the vine dresser or the farmer. And Israel... His chosen people is the vine that fills the vineyard. The people of God are God's vineyard, and he cares for them. He has brought them out of Egypt, planted them in the promised land, and lovingly tends to them, doing everything he needs to do to make sure that his vineyard is going to produce the kind of fruit that he desires. But if you've read the Bible, you know that there's a problem. The fruit doesn't come out as God expects. In order to preserve the twist ending for you, I actually stopped reading from Isaiah 5 in the middle of a sentence. Here's how that whole section actually goes. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And I'm told that the sense in the Hebrew here isn't really adequately conveyed by the translation wild grapes, that it's actually something more like stink fruit. (laughs) I did everything I could do, says God, to put you in a position to bear good fruit. I rescued you from bondage. I provided for you. I gave you my law. I spoke to you. I protected you. And stink fruit is what you have given me. Jeremiah picks up on this same theme in the second chapter of his prophecy, this time explicitly referencing the exodus from Egypt and how disappointed God is that all of his work in this vineyard has yielded such a poor harvest. For long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. Jeremiah says on behalf of the Lord, I freed you. But you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate? And become a wild vine. There's that word wild again. Wild grapes in Isaiah. A wild vine in Jeremiah. Stink fruit all around. 
And this is the whole story of the Old Testament in one striking image. Israel, God's vineyard, God's vine, has not produced good fruit. The prophet Hosea puts language to the way in which Israel bears its stink fruit. When he says that Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit, the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. That is, as things got better for Israel, as God cared for his vineyard, they built more and more altars. But these are not altars to God. These are idolatrous altars. Israel's vineyard yielded the stink fruit of idolatry and unfaithfulness. But now, here is Jesus. I am the true vine, he says. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. He is still caring. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, given the context of the Old Testament narrative and Israel's covenant unfaithfulness, we can see that here Jesus is redefining the very identity of the vine. Israel is not the vine anymore, he's saying. I am. Jesus is the true vine who, unlike Israel, will bring forth good fruit. I learned this week that when Jesus calls himself the true vine here in John, that word true is the same root word that was used in Jeremiah when the prophet talked about how Israel had been planted as a choice vine. Holy of pure seed. That choice vine did not bear good fruit. But Jesus will. And he's making this connection explicit by his use of the language. I am the new Israel. Jesus is saying. The true Israel. Where Israel was supposed to be the faithful and obedient children of God. But continually fell back into idolatry. I will actually be faithful and obedient. I will do the will of my Father. This is what Jesus means when he says that he is the true vine. The good fruit that that vineyard Israel did not produce, Jesus will produce. What that vineyard Israel did not fulfill, Jesus will fulfill. The kingdom of God, says Jesus back in Mark chapter 4, is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. 
The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The vineyard of God, the full nation of Israel, the people upon whom the Lord promised to pour out his blessing, this entire nation has now been narrowed down into one man. Now, every fruit, every blessing, indeed, all life will come by and through Jesus. This is what he means when he says that just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is life itself. He is the one through whom we are saved, redeemed, and made new. He is the one through whom we have life. And that life, though like the farmer in Jesus' little parable, is totally separate from it, bears great fruit, a bountiful harvest. And that's the beauty of Jesus' little parable and why The news that he and he alone is the new Israel is such good news. Because the first Israel failed to bear the fruit that God expected of it. And we fail in the same way. If the mantle of God's vineyard had simply passed from Israel to us, that would be bad news indeed. Because our vineyard yields stink fruit. And won't feed anyone and leads to death. But we are not God's vineyard like Israel was. Now Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. There is now a reliable connection between us and God, between the branches and the vine dresser. There is now a good and fruitful vine and from Jesus through Jesus we receive sustenance from God's care and we bear on his account good fruit which feeds everyone and leads to life and we bear this fruit not to make God happy or to prove that we are faithful but because we are branches abiding in the vine Apart from him, Jesus reminds us, we can do nothing. And so we are to abide in him. But how, we instinctively ask ourselves, do we do that? How can we make sure we're abiding in Jesus? It's a funny comment on my own human nature that one of the first things I thought when I sat down to consider this reading this morning is how to abide As if abiding is something that takes effort to accomplish. Because abide basically means rest in. It's not something that we do through striving. It's something that we are blessed to have. We are only alive because of this connection to Christ. 
in exactly the same way that a branch is only alive in its connection to the vine. Real and true life is sourced exclusively in God Almighty, a connection through Jesus Christ. Life proceeds through his faithful son, the new Israel, the healthy and vibrant vine, Jesus Christ, and into us who abide in him. And to abide, rest, stay attached to Jesus. Stop trying to live on your own. Remember that you are only alive in him. Jesus is the connection between you and God. He is the vine. It's no longer the people of Israel who are the vine. They are no longer the focus of this story. And in the same way, praise God, you are not the vine. That means that you are not the focus of this story either. All the focus is squarely on Jesus. Everything is about him. He is the true vine. He is the reason the branches are alive. He is the reason that there is fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we are dead in trespasses and sins, bearing our stink fruit for all the world to see. In Jesus, though, we receive everything that God wants us to have, and we bear good fruit by his spirit, doing all the good works as we pray at the end of each service that he has prepared for us to walk in. Our good fruit is a gift from God. Straight from the vine dresser, through the vine, and into the branches. It is good because he is good. And so we are called good because he is good. Our faith, our trust, our abiding is credited to us, says the scriptures, as righteousness, as though the righteousness were our own, but not because we are righteous on our own. After all, we are just branches. We are called righteous because Jesus is righteous, and we are connected to him. The branches receive what the vine has. So, abide in him. Confess your sins. Be forgiven. Take communion. Sing his praises. And live in light of his good news. Like Mary, sit at your Savior's feet. Like Peter, acknowledge that there is nowhere else to go. Remember that it is in Jesus' name that God calls you good. It is on Jesus' account that God calls you righteous. It is by Jesus' power that you bear fruit, pleasing God. 
Apart from him, you are nothing. Apart from him, you are dead. But in Christ, you are made new. In Christ, you are resurrected. In Christ, you are alive. Amen.